0: Welcome, my name is Jaden Haney. I'm a proud Wachabalik and Jabojali man. Before we start on the Get A Grip podcast, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians on the land that we are recording this podcast on today, the land of the Wadrong people, of the Kulin Nation. Here at Get A Grip podcast, we would like to extend our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Thank you.
1: everyone. This is Get a Grip on Mental Health. I'm Sally and we have Dan here as well and today we are going to be talking about all things stigma. So we all know that mental illness is stigmatized and stereotyped but why is this the case? In this episode we will unpack stigma and talk about why mental illness is stigmatized, debunk common stereotypes and myths of mental illness and talk about what perpetuate stigma so we do acknowledge that experiencing stigma is painful and there may be parts of this episode that hit close to home so if this episode isn't for you this is totally fine and you can skip this episode and come back next week if this episode causes distress please see the resources in the show notes so dan i'm gonna handball to you first and i'm gonna ask you what is stigma
0: Thank you, Sal. I would love to answer that question. So, stigma. Stigma is essentially a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance or quality or person. And it reduces the person or groups of people into a stereotype rather than looking at the person as a whole and acknowledging that person. So, essentially, it dehumanizes people and functions as a term we call othering. So, othering is when you are different from me and we do not have anything in common. So humans can sometimes other people.
1: Yeah, right. So that's sort of like othering either an individual, a collective group of people um, and saying that I'm different to you or we are different to you, therefore we don't have anything in common. And it's easier to label people when you don't think that you have anything in common with them.
0: Yes. Absolutely. That's exactly what it means. Yeah,
1: right. And Dan, how does stereotyping differ and or
0: relate to stigma? So stereotyping leads to stigma and it represents a collectively agreed upon notion about groups of people.
1: Okay. And so... Are we aware that we're stereotyping or can this be at a subconscious level?
0: I really like that question, Sal. And it is actually, we don't realise that we're doing it mm. and it's a, at a subconscious level. And it goes, it comes back to um, keeping ourselves safe. And historically as humans, that's how we survived. Mm. So we needed to stay safe and in order to stay safe, we needed to be able to look at potentially people or groups that may want to harm us.
1: Okay, yeah. So it's sort of a basic function of survival where yes. it's identifying you are, you look different to me, you behave different to me, yes. therefore you are uncertain, you're a threat to me and my group, so we might need to escape this threat.
0: Absolutely.
1: And I suppose that also means that you can't empathise with that particular group because, first of all, they may be seen as a threat. Mm -hmm. It's a risk to our survival if we empathise with threats. Mm -hmm. And second of all, if we see them as different, it's hard to empathise with people who we see as inherently different to us.
0: Being able to recognise that another person may look different as we talked about, it did serve uh, did serve a purpose um, historically. however, now mm. it serves less of a purpose, but it is part of our DNA, so that's why it it happens unconsciously. Yeah,
1: okay, so yeah, we we're not really aware that no. we're stereotyping or stigmatizing. Um, a group or somebody who belongs to that particular group and can stereotypes be passed on so let's say that you have a, a, a stereotype about a particular group of people I've never seen that particular group of people or I haven't heard about that group of people and if you were to talk about that group in a stereotyping way can that then be passed on to me and I automatically make those assumptions and belief about that group of people.
0: It absolutely can. Okay. And we can see this when we think about um, generations and how people are raised, and the conversations children over here,
1: mm.
0: from their families, their caregivers, or can example friends mm. as well.:
1: And when we talk about stigma, we usually talk about stigma and discrimination. So can you talk a little bit about what discrimination is and how it's related to stigma?
0: So discrimination, it contributes to stigma, and it's when someone believes that the negative stereotype related to people, even though it may not be true. Okay. So you're assuming.
1: And then that means that people are sort of shut out or denied access to, to resources, to belonging, to connection... And so it's that active process of excluding people based on a stereotype or stigmatized views.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's usually an emotional response as mm. well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it was a survival response. Yeah. That we no longer need. Yeah. But we still do. We still do. Yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) And I suppose when we're thinking about stigma and discrimination and stereotyping, it can happen at a subconscious level. But then I suppose you get that active discrimination where people are aware that they're discriminating others Mm -hmm. based on stereotypes and stigma as well. And that's probably less common these days, I would
0: suggest. I think sometimes people are aware that they um, are stereotyping or discriminating. However, that is the way the person chooses to see a particular group. Yeah,
1: okay. Yeah, so, yeah
0: it's that inflexibility.
1: Yeah, yeah. I suppose the big question is, why is mental illness stigmatised? I mean, if you were to type stigma into Google or another mm-hmm. search engine often what comes up is not only stigma in isolation but stigma and mental health and stigma and mental illness it's yeah. so profound yeah. that the search engine just generates that even if you're not searching for that specific link with stigma
0: absolutely um and so would you mind sharing with us about the history of
1: mental illness yeah absolutely I have got a story for you Dan (laughs) (laughs) and unfortunately it's not a very happy story (laughs) but if we are to begin unpacking why mental illness or mental health conditions or mental health in general Mm. is stigmatized and discriminated against we really need to understand the history around mental illness and if we're looking at the experience of mental illness and mental distress historically these experiences have been understood in various ways so if we're looking way back when mental illness or distress was understood to be you know maybe down to demonic possession that the person was being haunted or taunted by spirits Mm -hmm. that the person was cursed um, and that the a god or gods were punishing the person alternatively it may have been understood that a god or a deity or gods were speaking through the person as well however most of the time it's been understood that there's something happening with the person and it's otherworldly that's happening to the person and it's something to be feared that's happening to the person and in most instances these understandings fed stigma and discrimination Um, and if it was due to demonic possession being punished by the gods being haunted by a spirit it also was seen to be that the person brought it upon themselves and so therefore they were held to blame why for what was happening to them. And often people were shunned from society, they were excluded or they were held in captivity. And on the other hand, though, in some cultures, if mental illness was understood as God or gods or deity speaking through the person, the person may have actually been revered and mm. may have been a respected figure and seen to be sort of, I suppose, what we would say in modern terms and from our understanding a prophet as well.
0: So is what you're saying when we think about some of the presentations of people who had a mental health condition depending on the norms of the culture as to how that person was treated in society?
1: Yeah absolutely because I suppose it goes back to that what what is a mental health condition and what happens when someone is unwell with a mental health condition and you know they affect thinking, behaviour, interpretation of the world around the person, how they interact with others, their emotional regulation and a lot of these things may lead to the person actually acting outside what would be considered culturally and socially acceptable Mm. And it may also lead to behaviour that can't be explained, ideas that couldn't be explained, experiences that couldn't be explained or understood and so that othering sort of came into play in terms of this person is different to how we're acting and behaving. We're seeing behaviour that's different to the social norms Mm -hmm. and therefore they are different to to us and so therefore they are a threat to us.
0: Mm. So I can see even in that small example that you've given, I can Mm. see how as a society and within cultural norms that we carry those cultural norms today.
1: Yes, absolutely. This was, I'm talking millennia ago Mm. and it's still present today. And if we go back to ancient Greece, for example, Mm. um, this was when mental health conditions, mental distress was theorised to be a physical condition. So the ancient Greeks thought it was a a physical condition that was happening to the person, and therefore the person needed treatment and they needed to be kept safe. And so they actually had um, refuges for people who were experiencing signs of mental distress or or mental health conditions. But it kind of went downhill from there. And if we're moving into the Middle Ages, um, I'm using air quotations here, but lunatic asylums for the insane were popular across Europe and the Middle East and people who were displaying signs and symptoms of a mental health condition were contained and conditions were terrible, as you can imagine. People were often chained up, people were often held in dungeons and really shunned from society and treated incredibly subhuman as well. And I'm sure we can conjure up those sorts of images that come Mm -hmm. to mind when we think about mental illness. And then moving along in the 1700s, and this is also, this is talking about Europe, Mm -hmm. there were reforms around mental health and we went back to that understanding that mental health was a condition and it was a physical condition that people needed treatment for. But this didn't mean that mental health care got better, it just meant that our understanding changed. And so... um, people were still held in asylums but physical treatments were provided but really what was happening were experimental treatments and people were being tested upon
0: so can you tell us a little bit about some of these treatments that were happening
1: so a lot of these treatments thought that the, um, again, air quotations, insanity had to be beaten out of the person uh, or the person needed to be isolated. And so these, the thought was if you were to shock the person enough, then they would come round, then they would return to their, their normal self. There were, I was reading somewhere that there were even treatments of dunking somebody in cold water. Yes yet to again to shock the illness out of the person mm-hmm. so again quite barbaric and you know misguided at best and incredibly traumatic and torturous at worst and you can imagine that it did the complete opposite for those who were going through episodes of poor mental health well I should actually say episodes of mental illness um, because you can imagine what those sorts of again quotation marks treatments would have done for the person's overall health and well-being and as we move further along again these are sort of moving into the 1800s early 1900s lobotomies became a form of treatment and we now know that they were absolutely appalling. They did nothing for the treatment of mental health. They caused intellectual disabilities. They were really, really traumatic and, again, torturous, I would Brain say.
0: Damage.
1: Brain yeah. damage. completely changed the person's mm-hmm. personality and who they were. Uh, electroconvulsive therapy or shock treatment was given without anaesthetic and muscle relaxant, so the person was awake and they would convulse and also the use of straitjackets as well. So again, this was a breach of human rights because these treatments were forced upon the person. The person wasn't giving consent to these very invasive Mm. or restraining um, conditions, I would say, they're not treatments at all. Uh, And then we move into the age of Freud, the age of psychology and we sort of moved from that physical illness to being a psychological condition, and Freud attributed what we would see with people who are unwell with mental health conditions as um, something that had gone wrong with the person's development. There may have been something wrong with the person's environment, perhaps parenting had a role to play, personality coping mechanisms, and essentially what this was getting at was the person was flawed in some way there was something wrong with the person so again this further emphasized that the person was to blame for what was happening and we're looking at it from a deficit point of view and early medications were pretty awful for people they caused a lot of movement disorders, so shaking, um, involuntary muscle movement. discoloration of the skin. Yeah, yeah. And these were really quite noticeable. So people who were taking these medications and had these side effects were, um, it was easy to tell that people were, had a mental illness of some sort because of the visible side effects of these medications. And then in recent decades, We had abolished asylums Mm -hmm. and so um, mental health care was moved back into the community. This came with community fear and unrest and people were worried about people with a mental health condition being out in the community and that there would be an increase of violence. And again, Mm -hmm. this perpetuated stigma and discrimination.
0: there was a lot of fear around that time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And... (sighs) there was a lack of community support and funding for people who had previously been in asylums and were now out in the community or for people who had a new diagnosis of a mental health condition. And this meant that a lot of people couldn't receive the support they required to manage their mental health condition. Mm. And this, again, led to social exclusions that were going right back and we're circling back to the times where people were excluded, were contained and shunned from society... And as a result, this made employment very difficult for people to attain. It made um, living arrangements, renting, very difficult to attain. People were isolated as well. And so this all perpetuated stigma. And you could see that it was a self-perpetuating problem. There was no supports for people, and therefore people were unwell and displaying the stereotypes and the, um, buying into those stigmatising points of view, which then perpetuated that cycle as well. So you can see actually with this explanation that the problem doesn't lie within the individual. The problem lies within society when we look at stigma, discrimination and stereotyping and how society treats those who have a mental health condition. Mm-hmm. And the, the value that society puts on those people who have a mental health condition, um, and I would say that value isn't
0: high. Mm. Mm. So it's almost like the value that society put on people who have a mental health condition compared to a person who does not have a diagnosed mental health condition, the view may be that that person is more valued yeah, within society yeah. as a contributing factor.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That person's got more fruitful contributions to give. They're going to be more productive in pushing society forward, mm-hmm. and whereas someone with a mental health condition might be seen as a, a burden on society or someone that yeah. needs to be taken care of or locked away because they're dangerous and those sorts of things. And so we can see how these images of mental health conditions and people such as myself who had mental health conditions throughout the ages were viewed as and treated and they still persist in our mind today um and not only that but the barbaric treatments again not treatments but the barbaric treatment Mm. of people also, contribute to that stigma because it really implies that something really dramatic, something violent had to happen to treat the person. And so, I'm sure that we can all think of those sorts of images that come to mind mm. and that persists until today. Well, to today, I should say. Yeah. But, Dan, if we're looking at, you know, why is stigma still perpetuated in this current age? What are some other factors that perpetuate stigma today?
0: Yeah, so when we look at beliefs that are entrenched in this our society and that they are hard to... It's difficult to break because it's entrenched. It's entrenched thinking. It's what we've seen growing up, what we've heard. Um, and they're so well-established, mm. these views and ideas Mm. so when someone is unwell with a mental health condition or experiencing mental health distress it impacts their thinking mood perception and the person's behaviour so when we say perception we mean the world around you Mm. so it impacts on how you understand what is happening around in your world and sometimes people may have unusual beliefs or experiences such as hearing voices or believing they have special powers Mm. Um, people may also experience very low mood states or very high mood states or they may also experience anxiety or panic and quite often these changes result in altered behavior so the behavior might be what what society perceives as odd mm-hmm. or you might use the term disinhibited mm-hmm. and the person may also present flat or no energy lethargic mm-hmm. spending long periods of time in bed um So for someone watching or speaking to another person experiencing these changes, the behaviour that the person is displaying can be difficult for the other person to understand. Mm -hmm.
1: Especially because you can't see the origin. Like you can see the origin of a broken bone. You can see the x-rays. You can see the plaster cast. Because it's visible, you can imagine it happening to you and therefore you can empathise.
0: So this may be a reason why one of the most common and enduring stereotypes that I have seen, and I've heard other people have discussions about, is that a person who has a mental health condition, that they're violent or dangerous Mm. because of the behavior that the person's displaying, Mm. even if that behavior is not violent or dangerous.
1: Yeah. Because I can certainly say from my own experiences of being unwell i have displayed behavior that would have been interpreted as as aggressive and during those times i never had the thought to harm somebody yeah. it was because whatever was going on in my mind and my emotional regulation and and that sort of thing but i n- have never intended to hurt somebody it's just sort of when you're in that extreme distress you can't contain it in your body mm-hmm.
0: mm. yeah i like how you've you've explained that so there was never any harm of intent but when we have that extra energy where does it go yeah or when we don't have the energy how how do others perceive us yeah our behaviors yeah
1: absolutely and You know you might be angry with the circumstance but you're not angry with the person and we've all had experiences of anger where we we can't contain it in our body we've all sort of you know lashed out or and when i say lash out i don't mean at another person you know you might be punching a pillow you might throw your pillow around those sorts of things a boxing bag yeah absolutely i know if i'm angry i go for a run run it out but we all we instinctively move that particular emotion out of our body And if someone is unwell with a mental health condition, it may not be seen as that natural process of, oh, that person's angry, but they're not Mm. angry at me. It may be thinking that person's dangerous.
0: Yeah, Mm. and people feel threatened. Yeah. Especially when they're unable to read another person's behaviour. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: But I really do believe that with increased discussion and understanding around high-prevalence mental health conditions, so when we say high-prevalence we are talking about more commonly diagnosed mental health conditions so such as anxiety depression eating disorders um, ADHD the stigma around the conditions is decreasing
2: Mm.
0: however when we look at our mental health conditions such as schizophrenia bipolar disorder personality disorders and addiction they are very highly stigmatized in the general population Mm. Borderline personality disorder and eating disorders are the most stigmatised conditions in healthcare.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting to me because if we compare healthcare workers to the general population there are differences in stigma and absolutely as you said in healthcare it's the personality disorders and eating disorders whereas in the general population schizophrenia is the most stigmatised condition so Mm -hmm. it's really interesting that point of difference.
0: Mm mm and that that is one of the reasons why, as you know, Sal, why we have decided to do this podcast mm. yeah, because I think it's around having a discussion
2: mm.
0: and and telling stories and, and human connection, mm. and that's how we we learn mm
1: mm absolutely we learn through narrative and we'll get into this a little bit later um but we know that one of the most powerful um combatants against stigma is actually people sharing their lived experience of mental health conditions it is probably the most powerful and and evidence shows this as as well so when we're talking about stigma we will also talk about various factors that perpetuate stigma and one of them is silence but when we also talk about stigma we can understand why people would be silent and not want to share parts of their lived experience and something that comes to mind when we're looking at acceptance of um, mental health conditions we are getting better one thing that I think about though is we're okay with someone having a mental health condition we're not okay if they are unwell with it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that has been my experience from time to time. It's okay to have bipolar disorder, but it's not okay to be unwell with bipolar disorder. Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah. It's very interesting yeah. that, how, how that sits.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with, with myself, I'm pretty comfortable with people knowing I have bipolar disorder. I mean, it's part of my job to use my lived experience whether I label it as an experience of bipolar or not an experience of bipolar Um, but for me stigma is a lot more pervasive and enduring than the experience of being unwell with bipolar disorder and therefore when it comes to my personal life and professional life I am choosy about who I tell and about what I share when it comes to my experiences. So there's still a level of protection there too. Mm.
0: Mm. I think that's really important. And it's about, um, you know, part part of your identity. What are you you willing to share and what are you not? Mm. And I think there's a part of each person, each individual's identity, what are some things that we're willing to share and Mm. what are some things that are ours?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that
0: that is... Um, part of our well-being
1: Mm, yep absolutely so Dan yes shall we jump into some stereotypes and bust those myths yes
0: let's (laughs) let's start off um Sal if you can tell us about Ah, some stereotypes or, or myths About mental health conditions. I can kick us off.
1: (laughs) Uh, So first of all, I would like to invite you to imagine the stereotypes or images that come to mind when you hear the term mental illness. What do you see? What are your thoughts? So I want you to hold them in your mind while we are starting to bust some of these myths because I'm quite sure what we're about to talk about came up in your mind and that's totally fine totally fine Um, and it's just a demonstration of how our stereotypes may be unconscious as well we're not aware of it so the first one is dangerous Uh, I think we sort of unpacked that one probably one of the most common stereotypes in fact people who have a mental health condition are far more likely to be on the receiving end of violence and abuse and not the people who perpetuate violence and abuse or
0: perpetrate violence and abuse. So I often educate people and have conversations about asking questions similar, thinking about um, mental health, people with mental health conditions and what are some ideas or images that you think of. And then we talk about... Um, the dangerous
2: Mm.
0: term, if the person's dangerous. And I believe that the person who has the mental health condition is generally more afraid of Mm. you than you need to be of the person who has the mental health condition. Yes,
1: (laughs) absolutely. I can attest to that. Absolutely. Both in my professional nursing career Mm. and my own lived experience. Yeah, absolutely. Because... It makes sense because when we are scared, we flick into fight, flight, or freeze. And if someone is in hospital, for example, they can't flee, they can't run away. So Mm. often they switch into that fight. And that's a function we all have, and we will all do that when we're scared. And you can imagine that if you are having those perceptual disturbances, unusual beliefs, you're seeing or hearing things that aren't there, or your mood is altered in some way, how that can be a really scary experience. And so you, you flick into that fight or flight response. But you're absolutely right. The person is more likely afraid of you than you need to be of them. Mm. Hmm. My second stereotype is that people who have a mental health condition are always unwell. For most people, their mental health condition is episodic. And if people are supported to manage their mental health condition in a way that works for them and have easy access to mental health supports, most people will spend the majority of their time uh, in mental wellness rather than being unwell with their mental health condition. I think about myself and like 99.9% of my life is spent in mental wellness and it's that tiny, tiny percentage that is spent when I am unwell with my mental health condition. Mm -hmm. My third one kind of ties into that one. And it is that people who have a mental health condition can't recover. And while most mental health conditions can't be cured, again, with that individualized and accessible support, people will recover from episodes of mental health conditions or being unwell with their mental health condition. My other one is people who are unkempt and can't look after themselves. That one's just untrue. I don't know what else to say to that. It is not true. Um, <laughs> there are some mental health conditions where people, when they're unwell with them, may find it a bit more difficult to engage with hygiene and to do the things that they need to do to live the life that they want to live and to keep things ticking along, like buying groceries and cooking and keeping the house tidy and that sort of thing. Um, but across the board it's untrue mm. it's, it's not it's not correct
0: <laughs> i imagine that if you do have a diagnosed mental health condition that for example if you for one day or two days you might not style your hair as you usually would or you might not iron your shirt for example if that's what you generally do i imagine that that might feel a little bit uncomfortable for the person just in case someone thinks that they might be relapsing
1: oh yes (laughs) absolutely i am i am conscious of how i present to the world because of that um i remember i said to my housemate once I was meeting a new health professional for the first time um, because my one of my health professionals had moved on. and so I was meeting this health professional for the first time and I remember saying to my housemate the night before, "Oh, I need to wash my hair, I need to make sure it's straightened, I need to be wearing appropriate clothes for the weather and the context. otherwise it could be misinterpreted as me being unwell. Um, and I said it in jest, but there's a kernel of truth yeah, there as it well. Is. Yeah, absolutely. And that also comes down to, to behavior too. And we will talk about that in another episode, but um, you can become quite conscious of how you behave as well. Uh, And also when it comes to that, like people can't look after themselves, they're unkempt. A lot of physical illnesses will also mean that for that period of time, people can't do that. I mean, when I have a cold, for example, my hair will go unwashed. Yes, I look unkempt. I look more unkempt with a cold than I do when I'm moderately unwell with my mental health condition. Mm-hmm. Um, except it seems to be that mental health conditions are the ones that you know. Oh man, that person is unkempt and they can't look after themselves. Another one that is just completely untrue is that people who have a mental health condition are unemployed, can't hold down a job, can't study. Again, just blatantly untrue. I know so many people who hold really high-powered positions and have a, and, and have a mental health condition. So, again, that's just totally untrue.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: However, there are times and instances where people who have a mental health condition face workplace stigma and discrimination just for that fact alone, um, which is, is really upsetting to experience. So before I move on to the next one, I do want to acknowledge that there are some people who find employment difficult and may not be employed because of their mental health condition. And that may be because that person, you know, may have more relapses than somebody else, may spend more time unwell with their mental health condition, may have experiences of social exclusion as well so their access to resources is limited which mean that employment can be difficult for the person and again we need to look at that as a problem within society not a problem that lies within the individual.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, another one, living without a fixed dwelling. So it is true that having a mental health condition does increase your risk of becoming homeless however that is a result of stigma and discrimination and social exclusion it all comes back to that really Um, and there are a lot of people who who do have a fixed address who do live in um, either a rental place or some form of of housing and dwelling yeah this is a big one Dan You've probably heard of this. The listeners have probably heard of this. Are you ready for it?
0: (laughs) I don't know if I am. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) So this one is that the person is weak or that there is a character flaw. And this is actually quite the opposite. I think that you have to be pretty strong to live with a mental health condition since it does cause intermittent distress and disruption to people's life and learning to manage a mental health condition in a way that works best for you can be tough mm. and you do have to put in a lot of work and discipline to be able to manage a mental health condition and mental health conditions don't mean that people are weak or that they can't deal with everyday stressors. for a lot of people there is a biological process happening that alters how people think and their energy levels and so forth. But nothing about a person's character causes or contributes to a mental health condition.
0: I'm really glad that this is one of the stereotypes that, we, that you mentioned because a lot of people that I've worked with who have been unwell at the time um, actually believe that. <laughs>
2: Yeah. So and
0: it's heartbreaking because yeah. it's as you say the opposite is true. Mm. It takes so much strength mm. the opposite of weakness mm. to to even ask for help. Mm. So much strength.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's a common self-stigma. Mm-hmm. I know it's certainly one that I had for very many years and we'll talk about that in our next Stigma Series episode. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's a big one, and it's a big one that people often believe about themselves as well.
0: One of the um, ones that I would like to talk about, mm. and I have a few.
1: <laughs> I'm handing the reins over.
0: <laughs> uh, attention seeking. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a term that you might have heard several times, yes. um, but it's actually quite the opposite.
2: Mm.
0: So most people actually won't disclose that they have a mental health condition for fear of being stigmatized that they're um, attention-seeking. Mm.
1: Again, another one I had, but <laughs> we will park my experience for a later day.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> and what about the person's making it up or snap out of it. Ah, yes. (laughs) That old chestnut. That old chestnut. Snap out of it. You can control what is happening Mm. right now. So people don't make up having a mental health condition and it's not something that is to be desired, mental health conditions, nor the stigma that comes alongside. Mm. Mm. So if people could snap out of it, they actually would.
1: Yeah, I know. If only I had have thought of that. Man, I wouldn't have gone through those years.
0: (laughs) If only I had a million dollars. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, and it sounds silly, but it's similar to be able to say to someone, well, you can control that. Yeah. You can just snap out of it. Yeah. And it's very, it's one of the, uh, it's something that infuriates me when I hear that term.
1: It's like saying to someone with, a diagnosis of cancer snap out of it
0: you would never. that's the equivalent that. yeah yeah and it, as you say if, if a person has cancer for example or it'd be like trying to control your um you bring if you've got a cold for example or you've got the flu mm. and because our you know we start feeling cold we have an increase in our body temperature mm. it'd be like you saying to that person bring your temperature down
1: <laughs> come on you've got control of that that'll fix it yeah don't you know you'll feel better if
0: you bring your
1: temperature down it, absolutely and again we can't see it so that's cool. why people think that there's a level of and it's it, it can manifest as changes in behavior mm. but you're absolutely right it is the exact equivalent of saying stop that now bring your temperature down Mm. come on (laughs) (laughs) exactly what's another one you've got for me
0: oh poor parenting yeah I have heard some horrible things
1: Mm.
2: Mm.
0: said about people who have a mental illness or a mental health condition are poor parents yeah not true not true I, wrong wrong
1: <laughs> i'm very lucky and privileged to have very loving supportive parents who gave me the most ideal childhood mm. nothing they did led to me developing a mental health condition and in fact it's because of them that i've been able to come through the other side yeah
0: protective factor yeah yeah absolutely So there's many causes of mental illness, and the development of mental illness is complex. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: It's often a variety of causes that influences if someone will develop a mental illness or not. So common causes of mental health conditions, we can look at genetics,
2: Mm.
0: environmental factors, stress, grief, bereavement, substance use. And some personality traits. So, personality is largely influenced by genes and the environment. Mm. And we can learn to adapt or modify and manage some personality traits, but most are reasonably fixed.
2: Mm.
0: Also, trauma, hormonal changes, and big life changes. Yeah. While parenting can be an environmental factor that could increase the risk of a person developing a mental health condition this is more extreme such as forms of abuse and neglect mm. so any form of parenting that is done out of love and in the best interests of their children is not to blame as a reason why someone has developed a mental health condition mm. absolutely yeah and that is a big a big one that i still continue to hear yeah
1: yeah absolutely yeah what about the person who bought it on themselves and self-sabotaging? Yes. Can you tell me about that one? Tell us about <laughs>
0: that one. So nothing you do can cause or bring a mental illness on yourself. Mm. Okay? So there are many factors that cause mental illnesses or mental health conditions, and they are outside of your control. Mm. People are not to blame for having a mental health condition. Mm. We, we need to be removing this idea that it's their own fault because I've heard this term so many mm. times yeah it's not mm. it's it's not a person's own fault mm. and
1: I used to think that about myself as well mm. and again self-stigma creeping in there <laughs> yes yeah and it would because mm.
0: this is so entrenched mm. Yeah, these beliefs this stigma yeah yeah um Another one, that people will people who have mental health conditions will always need to take medication or be medicated. Wrong.
2: Yeah.
0: So for some, taking medication on a long-term basis is an effective way of the person managing their health and their mental health condition. But there are many different options and treatments and therapies that are just as effective or if not more effective than medication. And a lot of people will not need to take medication long-term. I think
1: that can be off-putting for a lot of people Mm -hmm. when it comes to seeking help. And we've got an episode coming up in terms of how to seek help for your mental health. And we'll talk about it in detail there. But absolutely, that thought of having to take medication for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. can put people off seeking help when that's not the
0: case Mm. for some people. Yeah, for some people. Mm. For some people, they may need to continue to take medication However, it's about what is the dosage of that medication and does it, it does it impact on the person's functioning and how can it align? Mm. So how can the person maintain their well-being mm. and their mental health condition while still being on the least restrictive amount of medication as possible? Mm. Mm. So each person is different yeah. depending on their mental health condition the severity mm. the length that the person's had the mental health condition and how well it's been managed mm. and the supports that the person has had in the past mm. another one that i hear that the person's not intelligent can't be independent <laughs> doesn't have emotions and cannot function
1: <laughs> wow that is a that's a big one right there
0: <laughs> that's a big slap yeah it really is
1: isn't it <laughs> Wow, I felt that one.
0: (laughs) So mental illness does not influence intelligence. In fact, we know that higher intelligence is a risk factor for some mental health conditions.
1: Mm, mm -hmm. I have read that somewhere.
0: (laughs) So people who have a mental illness are first and foremost humans and are exactly the same people who do not have a mental health condition. Mm,
1: We are exactly the same. I can vouch for that.
0: (laughs) The vast majority of people with mental health conditions are independent and function perfectly fine. Mm. Mm. So mental health conditions can cause a deficit in the person. Yep, heard that one too, (laughs) that deficits approach. Yep, not true. Yeah. So while being unwell with a mental health condition or experiencing mental distress is largely unpleasant for the person and sometimes for the people around the person so the person's family going through these adversities can ultimately be a strength mm-hmm. it can bring people closer together especially in healthcare, and it can make practitioners more empathetic and supportive compared to people who haven't had these experiences
1: so in terms of if you yourself are a healthcare care professional it can make you more empathetic towards the people who you're working with
0: Absolutely. I
1: definitely can attest to that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It made me a better nurse.
0: I think so. Mm. And when Mm. we see the human spirit Mm. and what people can overcome and the tragedies and Mm. the trauma Mm. and the strength, Mm. it's the human experience. And as we said earlier on in the podcast, it's the narrative.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Mm. it doesn't take away from a person. Instead, I would say it adds to the person. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I've got a few more for you, Dan. (laughs) We said we had a long list. (laughs) Um, That mental health conditions only impact a certain type of people. Nope. Not right. (laughs) Mental health uh, conditions can affect anyone at any time. We're all vulnerable to developing one. Talking about mental health problems make them worse. Again incorrect is actually quite the opposite. Talking about mental health conditions increase understanding and make people feel less alone and also decrease stigma.
0: Let's say for example there's a person who has a mental health condition in a family mm. and we know historically that we didn't have conversations about mental health many years ago. Mm. It was one of those things mm. that was pushed under the carpet so to speak mm. for um, want of a better term mm. so would you say that if a person has a mental health condition and they have discussions within their family that uh, about the, the that particular mental health condition that that's a protective factor absolutely yeah.
1: absolutely i mean thinking about myself If I had have had discussions with friends and family about mental health and mental health conditions and so forth, I think I would have felt more comfortable speaking up about it at first. And that's not a reflection on anyone in my life at that time. So just a reflection on the time we were living in. And, yeah, it wasn't that long ago, uh, but still a lot of progress has been made between now and then. Um, absolutely, I'd say that's a protective factor. And I think people are worried about talking about mental health because they're concerned they're going to put the idea of mental illness in somebody. That's not going to happen. If someone's already unwell with a mental health condition, they're already unwell with it. And, in fact, they will be grateful, yeah, that they've been asked and to have that conversation because what that does if you ask the question and and go and have that conversation is tell the person or say to the person it's okay to talk about this i'm not going to judge you i'm not going to push it under the the rug i'm comfortable enough with you and with this topic to have an open and Mm. honest conversation about this and there's nothing to be judged about what's happening to you Mm. yeah yeah i love that yeah we need
0: more of that
1: yeah Absolutely, we do. Um, another one, problems with mental health are uncommon. Mental health conditions are more common than what you may think. So, I'm going to I'm going to lay some statistics down right now. Yes, pass them in, <laughs> right? Okay, so th- this is from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare. 44% of Australians will experience a mental health condition in their lifetime. Dan, that's half. That's half of yes, us. Exactly. Yeah. So we go back to othering, there is no othering. <laughs> yeah,
0: we're all, we're all in the same boat here. Yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> 17% of Australians have an anxiety disorder, and so that's the most common type mm-hmm. of mental health condition. 8% have an affective disorder, and so an affective disorder is a, a mood disorder, so that may be depression or bipolar disorder. 3% of people have a substance use disorder. And 28% of people aged between 15 to 24 have a mental health condition. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So, again, pretty common amongst our population. And if we're looking globally, around about 280 million people in the world have depression. That's a lot of people. That's right. So with statistics like this, you will know many people who have a mental health condition, even if you're not aware of it.
0: Mm. Mm. And, I, and I think that goes back to those stigmatising beliefs that, that a person may believe that their co-worker may not have a mental health condition because mm-hmm. they have a job. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Or their co-worker may not have a mental health condition because they're married with children. Yeah. Um, uh, this mate who they play golf with every weekend mustn't have a diagnosed mental health condition because they're able to um, play golf every weekend and enjoy it yeah people who have mental health conditions still enjoy their damn lives
1: absolutely (laughs) of course we do we love life (laughs) and we still do the things that we want to do and that we need to do yeah yeah absolutely um going off on a bit of a tangent here We'll but, but, you know, one thing that I often get when I do uh, share with someone that I have bipolar disorder, and it's said with good intentions and in goodwill you don't look like you have bipolar are you sure what does that look like exactly yeah are you absolutely positive there and please enlighten me as to what bipolar disorder looks like because i'm at a loss here i don't know what you're talking about (laughs)
0: and i mean you know i shouldn't
1: laugh well you kind of have to laugh otherwise you're gonna cry
0: yeah it's not i shouldn't laugh it's I don't feel right laughing, but we have to laugh. Yeah, yeah. But what does bipolar look like?
1: Yeah, it it looks like everything and anything, as with any other mental health condition or health condition. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that's a common one. (laughs) Another common one is everyone with mental health conditions also are addicted to a substance. And again, Mm. that's, that's not true. We do know there's a relationship there. So the risk of substance use is increased if someone has a mental health condition. The risk of addiction is increased. And some people will use substances as a way of managing their symptoms and so they may then develop an addiction to those substances. But not everybody with a mental health condition will use substances as a way of managing their condition um, and then go on and develop an addiction as well. Not many people who have a mental health condition will use substances in a risky way too, mm. so I think that's important to know, and we need to be empathetic for people who do have an addiction to a substance because nobody starts using a substance thinking that they're going to become addicted to it. Nobody would choose that for themselves yeah mm. and
0: and I really like how you said that Sally mm. and A lot of the time when I have conversations with students and conversations with anybody about people who have substance use disorders, again, it's that stigmatizing idea that the person, um, it's the person's fault. Mm -hmm. It's their choice. Mm -hmm. So what we find is that people who use substances who do have a diagnosed mental health condition, usually use a substance because they have their symptoms are poorly managed at that time Mm -hmm. So the person uses substances to manage their symptoms.
1: For some people prescribed medication and their side effects is worse than using a non-prescribed substance for managing their mental health condition and yeah as you said Dan that comes back to poor management Mm -hmm. that's often because there isn't much collaboration between the person and their healthcare professional, or that Mm. person may not have an ongoing healthcare professional. Mm.
0: Mm. And also poor mental health literacy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Another one is shame in seeing a psychologist, psychiatrist, mental health practitioner, mental health nurse going to therapy. And how we manage our health is never something to be ashamed of. Therapy is not for weak people. I think everybody should actually go to therapy. I think the world would be a better place if we did. I agree 100%. Yeah, I think (laughs) we all need that in our lives. (laughs) But therapy assists people to understand and accept their diagnosis, learn how to manage their health, and learn skills to assist with managing their health. Therapy requires you to examine yourself, requires a lot of self-reflection and talking about painful or even embarrassing experiences. Mm-hmm. And again, this requires strength of character. Yes. It requires being vulnerable and letting go of your ego. And I think these are qualities to admire.
0: I absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. Being vulnerable is so – it can be difficult, but it can be so important for growth. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it's, it is hard. Yeah, it's very hard. But There's, we can do hard things. We can do hard things.
1: We can be courageous. And yes. that's what I feel vulnerable is, is, yes. is that courage. Um. Okay, this is, this is my bugbear. <laughs> <laughs> and this is that people can recover, in quotation marks, by getting sleep, eating well, and doing self-care. Annoying, <laughs> to say the least.
0: Yeah, I... This is one of my bugbears. As
1: yeah, well. yeah. Um, mental health conditions are a health conditions. They require specific, evidence-based care mm-hmm. and management from a qualified health professional. Someone who is experiencing depression, psychosis, whatever it may be can't just resolve these states by eating well and engaging in (laughs) self-care you can compare it to what i usually do when i'm talking to students about this is i compare it to someone who has uh, type 1 diabetes for example someone who has type 1 diabetes can't cure themselves by getting enough sleep eating well and doing their self-care While those things may be of benefit to that person's overall health and well-being, it will not manage and cure their diabetes. (laughs) And it's the same for mental health conditions. But what this also does is it judges the person and says that they are to blame Mm.
0: for what's happening. It shifts the blame. It
1: does because the person's not attending to their well-being. And
0: there is no blame
1: exactly yeah but it does have that undercurrent of yes. blame and judgment you're you're not good enough because you're not doing x y and z for your health
0: and i know what you need yeah exactly <laughs>
1: <laughs> have you ever thought about Trying whole foods, trying a vegan diet. <laughs> Damn it. Again, it's just, if I had a thought of that, I wouldn't have gone through all those years.
0: <laughs> and we know it comes from a place of love. Mm. But it's not helpful. Yeah, it's a bit misguided, we shall misguided. say. <laughs>
1: walk it off, walk it off. Uh, I'm handballing back to you. Another bugbear?
0: Mm-hmm people are born with mental health conditions
1: ah uh, yes <laughs> that
0: old yeah that one so people may have a genetic vulnerability to developing a mental health condition but people are rarely born with a mental health condition already expressed so 75 percent of mental health conditions begin in late adolescence and early adulthood mm. So anyone can develop a mental health condition at any time mm. throughout your life. Mm. Yep. Yep. Excellent. Agree. Another one? Yep. People with mental illnesses <laughs> constantly stop taking <laughs> their medication <laughs> and engaging in treatment.
1: Yeah, right. Mm, wrong. Wrong.
0: <laughs> so most people engage in treatment and also manage their mental health in a way that works for them. If people choose to stop taking medication or they disengage with treatment, there's usually a rational reason. For example, side effects of medication are intolerable sometimes. The person may not click with their health care professional that they are matched with. Sometimes it's the cost of care and some medications are very expensive. The person may be unable to um, get to appointments or travel. One of the big ones here is I would like to hear from a person who has ever developed some type of, whether it's chest infection,
2: Hmm.
0: some type of infection that required antibiotics, and whether they've stopped taking that medication when they've been feeling better. Yeah. Because it is actually quite common that people sometimes don't finish the full course of their medication And the person may become unwell again with that chest infection, just as an example. So it can actually be quite common.
1: Absolutely. Like from my perspective as an emergency nurse working in the ED, we would see so many people coming back to the ED with the same chest infection because they had stopped taking their antibiotics Mm. and they hadn't finished their course of that. And, again, it's probably due to the same reasons as you outlined, Dan, but also, um, you know, maybe not having the education, maybe not understanding the education provided to them, or maybe simply thinking, well, I'm feeling good now, I'm feeling better. What's Mm. the use of taking medications when I'm feeling better? Obviously, they've worked.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I like that analogy. Mm.
0: Yeah, and I think if we can... The more simply we can and relatable we can make things, the more it might help. With decreasing that stigma. Yeah, Yeah,
1: absolutely. What's another one you got for me?
0: Um, The people who have a mental illness are always either irrational, chaotic, unpredictable, irresponsible, (laughs) violent, difficult to get along with.
2: Yep. (laughs) That's
0: a big no. So being unwell with a mental health condition may temporarily cause these things, Mm. but most of the time, people are rational, responsible, gentle, and they generally conduct themselves with relative predictability.
2: Mm.
0: Mm. Uh, People being told they're better off having a serious and life-threatening physical illness than a mental health condition.
1: Yes, this has happened to me and to my mum, my
0: mum being told that about me yeah so this one is horrible sad and dangerous Mm. so it kills any hope that things are going to get better
2: Mm.
0: if there's no hope the person may not try to manage their condition and nor will their health professionals and family
2: Mm.
0: it can honestly be like a death sentence Obviously, it's untrue since mental health conditions are manageable and most people live a content and fulfilling life.
2: Mm,
1: Absolutely. It's a horrible thing to hear or to learn that your loved one had heard it as well. And it doesn't happen often these days. Certainly in one of my previous jobs where um, I worked with other lived experience academics and people who were going through the system in the 1980s and 1990s, They heard that quite a lot. Mm. Mm. It's horrible. Yeah, it's really awful. Okay, Dan, we have spoken about a lot of stereotypes and I hope we have effectively debunked these stereotypes. (laughs) Me
0: too. And honestly,
1: I think both you and I can talk about them all day. Like, stigma, I can talk until the cows come home about this topic. But What perpetuates stigma in this current age? We've kind of spoken about the history of mental illness and how that's led up to today's stereotyping of of mental health conditions. But what are some other things that keep the stigma alive?
0: Well, the big one here is media.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So
0: what about all the news reporting on all the violence? Oh, yes, I hate that. And... the media also speculates that the person that was violent also has a mental health condition.
1: You know what? Whenever there's a violent thing that happens in the media, and this isn't so relative to us here in Australia, but we definitely hear about it. One example is school shootings in America. Yes. Or any sort of other violent thing. I feel sick because I know that there's going to be speculation around that person's mental state at the time. And there may or may not be a mental health condition occurring. Of course. But I hate how that speculation happens before anything is confirmed. Mm-hmm. And it makes me feel very uncomfortable and, like, get that sick feeling in my stomach.
0: Mm. Mm. I couldn't imagine. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, the way the news reports or even speaks about people who have a mental health condition is sensationalized, dramatic, and very patronizing. Yeah, yeah. Um, And also movies, TV Mm -hmm. shows, um, Netflix, you know, um, portray mental health conditions inaccurately, really, to fit the person's character, the narrative of the film. Yes, yes. And when things go wrong for a character who has a mental health condition, it's likely due to that condition. Yeah. Yeah. On the TV show. Yep. (laughs) People are often portrayed as violent, chaotic, irrational, childlike, incompetent, and self-sabotaging.
1: So all those things that we've just spoken about. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Also images. Mm. When we look up an image of depression, for example. Yep. We see the old head in the hand. <laughs> That's the first image we see. Yeah, and images are very stigmatizing.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Um, and psychosis. We, if we googled the word psychosis and looked at um, Google images, it would come up as something violent. Yeah. So these images are often disempowering um, and inaccurate. Yeah. Yeah language.
1: Oh yes, this is so big. We have our own episode on language. (laughs) So
0: language perpetuates stereotypes by using inaccurate adjectives and negative language. Also lack of education.
2: Mm.
0: So not being provided with accurate education about mental health conditions and not having an understanding of the experience of having a mental health condition. Mm. So
1: what are some others for you, Sal? Do you um, some more? Yeah, I do. I, I think I spoke about this a little earlier mm. on, but it's silence. So mm. and not sharing that lived experience, which is totally understandable, and we can't blame people for not sharing their lived experience. I've certainly never ever blamed someone who doesn't want to disclose, um, and that does unfortunately perpetuate stigma. So again, it's that self fulfilling. Cycle Stigma perpetuates silence and silence perpetuates stigma. And it's hard because I have experienced stigma when disclosing my condition in various settings. And there are some instances where I feel uncomfortable sharing that side of me. And as I was saying, it's my job to use lived experience. But there are certainly times where I'm protective and I don't share any of my lived experience or part of my lived experience because of that fear of stigma and again, yeah, it comes down to not blaming people for choosing not to share. It's totally up to the person and it's a privilege to hear it, really.
0: Mm, absolutely. Mm. And and again, it's that vulnerability. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Another one is not questioning stereotypes. So people taking stereotypes as true or as fact without questioning where they come from. Mm-hmm. So again, that passing it on through language. Yeah,
0: and through generations. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, people using mental health as a scapegoat (laughs) yeah yeah this this is it's a prickly area let's just say but when people who do not have a mental health condition use it as a way to explain unlawful or unsocial behavior and as a means to get out of things social media and influencers. oh man Oh, comes back to what you're saying about media Dan <laughs> um, social media it and it hurts Influencers <laughs> will spread information like wildfire mm-hmm. especially among more vulnerable populations who haven't developed that critical thinking such as adolescents and young adults
0: and the emotional intelligence yeah too.
1: absolutely and so you have the influencers who just casually speak inaccurately about mental health so again those wellness warriors you know think yourself out of depression, make sure you're eating whole foods, da-da-da-da-da, yeah. this exactly. will cure, positive thinking will cure your anxiety. Yes. Oh, again, a bugbear. <laughs>
0: yes, and while some of these areas, are, they contribute to people's overall well-being, but when the person's experiencing an exacerbation in their mental health condition at that time, not going to be helpful. Exactly. And it's
1: not going to cure it.
0: No. It's good for overall health.
1: Yes. Can't be done when someone's unwell and yes. it's not going to cure that condition completely. No. that's right. Um, then on the other side of that, so it, these influencers are usually well-meaning. They are just not don't have the education. Yes. On the other side, you have people who are derogatory towards mental health conditions Mm -hmm. and spread dangerous beliefs around mental health conditions so that you know uh, depression isn't a real illness everyone who has a mental health condition can't be trusted and that sort of thing but even looking at podcasts where stereotypes are reinforced when accurate or stigmatizing language is used, and even looking at reels and memes and gifs that reinforce these stereotypes as well. So, mm-hmm. when we think about social media, we shouldn't just think about the big ticket ones like Instagram and influencers. It's sort of everything that we are exposed to on social media. My other one, a bit of a controversial one as well, but I'm going to say it anyway. We love a bit of controversy. Yeah, yeah. We can hold our own. We can hold our own. Yeah. <laughs> Now, when I say this, just hear me out, okay? <laughs> um, people thinking they have a mental health condition when they don't. As I said, a bit controversial, but let's unpack it. So when people are going through a tough time or feeling a normal level of sadness in response to normal life events, thinking that they're depressed, you know, thinking, oh, I'm so depressed or saying I'm so depressed, the experience of depression is very different to sadness. And it's very normal to go through normal sadness. Or you've probably heard of people saying, I'm so OCD. Mm. Um, And thinking they have OCD when they have things they are specific about, such as things looking neat and tidy. Or
0: double checking that they've turned something off as a safety. Yep.
1: You know what? I do that with my hair straightener. I usually do it twice. I certainly do not have obsessive compulsive disorder. (laughs) Um, And... If we're looking at obsessive-compulsive disorder, the compulsion component takes up a huge amount of that person's day, all day, every day, basically. Mm -hmm. People thinking they have bipolar disorder, if they're feeling down and then happy. It's normal for our mood to fluctuate multiple times a day on a daily basis, and so people who have bipolar disorder experience intense changes in energy and also their mood states, and it's sustained for a long period of time. And so doing these sorts of things minimizes the experience of having a mental health condition and it reinforces inaccuracies around our understanding of mental health conditions. And this is very different to reaching out to a family member, a friend, a health professional when you think you have a mental health condition Mm -hmm. and you need a sounding board. That doesn't perpetuate stigma. That's very important. And I want to make sure there's a clear difference between the two. But throwing around diagnoses without a proper assessment by a health professional, when you don't plan to follow that up from a, by a health professional, this, again, it minimises and reinforces stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And personally, I do find this quite triggering um, because when I hear this, and I know this is my own opinion and experiences probably colouring this a little bit, but I think you haven't spent time in hospital for this. You haven't nearly lost your life because of this. You haven't grieved the things you've lost because of this diagnosis Mm. and the associated stigma. You haven't lost your job, your career and your friends or years of your life being unwell. You haven't had your autonomy taken away from you when it comes to decision about your healthcare And you haven't taken medication that has caused some pretty awful side effects. All of these things have happened to me. And so when I hear someone who's going through normal sadness saying they're depressed, or I hear someone who's going through normal fluctuations of their mood saying they have bipolar disorder, it really rankles with me because having a mental health condition is so much more than being unwell with that mental health condition. There's so much more that comes along with it. Mm. And so this is something that really, as I said, it irritates me, but also it acts as a function to minimise
0: and to stereotype. Thank you for sharing that, Sal, because I think that lived experience gives a very good example of how we can look at things differently.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, Dan finishing up (laughs) what are your final thoughts
0: um my final thoughts are around shame and shame stops people from enjoying their life doing the things that they want to do because they may be afraid of someone judging them or because the person may have a mental health condition they've been judged for such a long period of their life um It might stop them from enjoying the life that they want to live. Yeah, yeah. So I would just get you to question uh, next time when you are thinking about a person who may have a mental health condition and how you might reframe.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: What about yourself?
1: My final thoughts are: stigma is painful. Yeah. It's more painful than the mental health condition itself. A lot of stigma stems from not having an understanding of mental health conditions and also from silencing those who have a mental health condition. And if we're going to start combating the stigma, which we'll talk about in the next episode, we need to start listening to people who have mental health conditions. But it goes beyond that. We need to start creating environments where people feel safe and aren't going to be judged, stigmatised, stereotyped and discriminated against. For sharing their mental health condition so it's a bit of a heavy final thought for today but i think it's one that rings true Mm. and with that we are going to do something light and airy after talking about the concept of stigma debunking these myths talking about where it comes from and how it continues (laughs) we hope you have enjoyed this episode if any of the topics we spoke about today have brought up stuff for you please reach out to your supports or see the resources in the show notes to find out about future episodes you can follow us on instagram at get a grip podcast where we will announce each episodes as it comes out we hope that you're going to do something nice for yourself after listening to this podcast we hope you have
0: a great week and we'll see you next time <music> A quick reminder that this is not intended for any medical advice. These are general conversations. If you are concerned about yourself or someone else, please seek the appropriate medical help. If you
1: have enjoyed this episode of Get a Grip, please hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be kept up to date with new episodes and content. Please also feel free to leave us a little review as this helps us reach new audience members and grow our show.